So the last uh, couple of weeks we've been doing a little mini-series in the run-up to Easter. We've called it Voices. And we've been considering a number of the voices, the significant prophetic uh, and empowering voices that speak about Jesus and prepare the way for Jesus. We began, I think, with John the Baptist a couple of weeks ago. Prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. We looked at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then last week we considered his triumphal entry and we said, you know, there was much to celebrate. It was the, it was the coming of a king, not just the coming of a teacher, not just the sort of celebration of Passover, and that was a big deal anyway, but there was more than that happening there. And, and many were shouting riskily, you know, this, this extraordinary prayer, blessed is he who brings in God's kingdom. It wasn't a wishing, it was a celebration of the arrival of Jesus. And yet this weekend, we're just gonna consider three other statements which suddenly changed the whole dynamics and the first voice we wanna say and see is the voice of the crowd on Good Friday. The very people who celebrated Jesus's arrival are then found before Pontius Pilate and they are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. My goodness. You know, they say, don't they, that a a lot can happen in politics within a week. Well, a lot happened here. A lot happened here. One minute, Jesus is the hero of the day. And it looks as if the religious leaders are back-footed. It looks as if, I mean, the disciples actually think that Jesus is going to be establishing the kingdom of God. James and John go so far as to sidle up beside him and say, Jesus, you know, when you, when you come into glory, you know, when it all begins to sort of really kick in, could, could we sort of be your right-hand man, your left-hand man, that kind of thing? The, the disciples themselves, the inner circle believe that there's going to be an extraordinary celebration of God's coming. But in fact, exactly the opposite happens. Who could have foreseen it? Well, the religious leaders had planned it, and they quickly rallied, and as you know, the story goes that Jesus was betrayed on, Good Fr- on the eve of Good Friday, Maundy Thursday, we call it traditionally. And in that moment, he was betrayed by one of his very own, Judas. Judas Iscariot, Judas who had walked those dusty lanes with him, Judas had been sent out by Jesus into the villages with the other disciples to preach the good news, to share the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. Judas had been there when Jesus walked on water. Judas had been there when Jesus broke the bread and fed 5,000. Jesus had been there when he made blind eyes see when he had caused the lame to walk, when he had released people from demonic oppression. Judas had been there and yet, and yet, he finds him in himself to betray Jesus. And the culmination of that is Jesus before Pilate with this this voice, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Oh my gosh. And yet, you know, the scripture says, and Jesus himself said, I'm going to Jerusalem where I will be flogged, spat upon, betrayed, and crucified. And then three days later, that's by the Jewish reckoning, I will rise again from the dead. When Peter, the lead apostle, heard it, he said, no way, that's never gonna happen to you. 
And Jesus rebuked him. He said, get behind me, Satan. He rebuked him. Later on, Peter said to him, when Jesus said, listen, guys, you're all going to betray me, but it's going to be all right. And Jesus, uh, Judas, <laughs> Peter, outraged, Peter, yeah, it was, it was Peter. Peter, outraged, said, I'll never betray you. Not me, Lord, not me. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, before the, clock, the cock crows twice tomorrow morning, you will have betrayed me three times. Peter was affronted, not me. And yet the very thing happened. Peter followed those that had arrested Jesus into the courts of the the, the outer court, and in that place, when challenged by a servant girl, not a great Goliath of a man, not a cohort of Romans, not a great mob, but when a servant girl says to him, wait a minute, you're a Galilean, you were with him. He said, no, I wasn't. I don't know the man. And it got worse than that. His disciples, his inner circle betray him. The crowd turn on a coin, and now they want him crucified. That's a powerful voice. How can Jesus overcome that? How can he turn that round? Well, in the world's eyes, he can't. And it ends up with him being crucified on the cross. He is beaten, he's flogged, he's taken to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he is crucified, where he dies a criminal's death. But little did they know that it was in his death that we receive life. It's substitutionary atonement. I spoke about this some weeks ago. It's where God himself steps into our situation and says, I will pay your debt. Your debt of sin, that is. And so Jesus, who was without sin, was an innocent is betrayed by his friends, is betrayed by those who love him, and he is crucified. And on that cross, he bears the sins, not just the sins of his neighbors and friends, but the sins of the world, that includes me. On that cross, as I said last week, it's not his cross, it's not Jesus' cross, it's my cross. It's the punishment I deserve. And upon that cross, Jesus bore my sin, that my relationship with God the Father can be restored. Now there are several things that are attributed to Jesus, uh, being said by Jesus on the cross, but we are gonna just look at one of them, which is the next voice, Jesus' voice, from the cross itself, where he says, it is finished. It is finished. Now the Greek word for that is teleo. It has a particular meaning. I'll come to that in just a moment. Flissy and I, last night, I slept in our bedroom. The first time I've slept in our bedroom for six weeks. No, we did not have a terrible row. But actually, six weeks ago, Fliss and I decided we would just, one Saturday morning, we would emulsion our bedroom. Our, our bedroom. Just white emulsion, nothing fancy. Slapped on a couple of coats, and we said, it's finished, great, looks very nice, doesn't it? And Fliss said, it's a bit, it's, a, it's very pongy, isn't it, you know? 
She said, I'm not sure I can sleep in this place. I said, oh gosh, really? Okay, well we'll sleep in the spare room. Now this Pong became absolutely outrageous. So much so we end up talking to a, a, a paint manufacturer. I don't want to be sued by them or something like that, you know. But we ended up having long conversations because it got worse and worse and worse. We couldn't live in that end of the house. Eventually, bless their hearts, they gave us some special paint. Apparently the paint had gone off or something to cover this over. So we, we covered it all over, we painted that and we said, it's finished. And no, it wasn't, it still smelled disgusting and now it looked worse than when we first, before we bothered to paint it. Well, long story short, six coats of paint later, six, we have a white bedroom. Big deal. <laughs> and I was brave enough to sleep in it last night and I still woke up with a headache. It is finished. You see, there's varying degrees of being finished. When Jesus cried out, it is finished to Leo, what he's really saying is, it is accomplished. It's more than finished, it is accomplished. And what he has accomplished is all that the Messiah, the Son of God, was supposed to have done. You know, Isaiah speaks, he says, by his stripes we are healed. Jesus was flogged and beaten. It says in the scriptures that it may look to the world that God has deserted him, but no, God will raise him up. For upon his shoulders he has borne the sins of the world, borne their iniquities, it is accomplished. It says of the followers of Jesus, those who believe in this Messiah, that they will be more than just forgiven. They will have a glorious hope and future in God's presence. It is accomplished. And more than that, it says that they will be like him and follow him all the rest of their days. It is accomplished. So the second voice is, it is finished. It is accomplished. All that was, was hoped for and prophesied about God's Messiah, that's who Jesus is. It is accomplished. Now the last thing I want to say is totally for Easter, and that is he is risen. He is risen. So many, you know, if you read, I did this this morning, it's wonderful, I just read the, the Easter day stories in each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It takes no more than 10, 15 minutes. Each has a little nuance, a little, uh, adds a bit, another facet to the gemstone that is the re resurrection story. And I found myself wondering, I started myself thinking about, about what this means to me. So what? That's good news for Jesus, but so what? How is that good for me? 
And then I was reminded of something. It says in Romans 5, 26, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 23, and I thought, well, how, how does that work? And then suddenly I realized it. Suddenly I realized it. You see, when we live separate from God, when we live without God, we live in a place of sin. In fact, the Bible calls it, which actually says it's very blunt, it says we're slaves. We're actually caught up in things and we keep finding ourselves involved and committing to things and making choices that just further ensnare us. This all came about, as many of you will know, because we disobeyed God's order. We rebelled against God right back in the dawn of time. We rebelled against him. And that's what the Bible calls sin. It's not sort of doing a naughty thing there or a naughty, th- what's it there? That is part of it, I guess. But actually, it's this fundamental rebellion from, with God. And what that does is it separates us. It's called sin. Now, what Jesus does is he dies for the sins of the world on the cross. I said that already. And sin is removed. <coughs> Excuse me. So that gives us the potential then to have a restored relationship. I say the potential of a restored relationship. We need to embrace that. We need to open that gift. You know, Flissy Flissy, uh, gave Trevor a a present from us both this morning because it's his birthday and he's a mate. He's a very lucky man. And uh, he has to open that. We have to open this gift. We have to receive this gift. We have to open it. We can't just leave it on the side there. We have to embrace it. We have to take it. We have to use it. Or, and in his case, because it's cookies, going to have to eat it. <laughs> and I hope he'll share them with me. <laughs> so the wages of sin have been dealt with. And what does that mean then? If, if we do embrace that, well, it means that we can go right back to the garden, to the beginning where relationship was fractured where God and man fell out in the most catastrophic of way, where death entered in, where sin came tumbling in. What happens at that point is that actually we can find ourselves in a, with the potential of restored relationship. And what is one of the benefits of relationship with God, with an eternal God who's put his spirit within us? It's eternal life. Now that's a great story, but how do we know that is true? We know it because Jesus rose from the dead. The first fruits of the dead. The first fruits, if what Jesus did on the cross is what we say he did, then we can have eternal life because if sin, the wages of sin have been swept away, then we can have a restored relationship with God. Now, I'm gonna give you an illustration. I'm not sure, anyway, I'm gonna give you an illustration. So this week, this is absolutely true, I received a surprise letter from our board of directors, as indeed most of our staff did. And in this, I was awarded a small, but not insignificant, pay rise. And it was backdated to the beginning of the year. Whoopee! Whoopee! We can go to McDonald's and have a happy meal. No, it was better than that, it was better than that. It was better than that. 
The reason I mention it, I'm sorry if you didn't get a pay rise this week, it just happened that I did. Those are wages, wages for past effort, part of something that the board has decided that, you know, they need to pay me. You know, the last thing that you want is to draw down the wages of sin, and God forbid that they're backdated. You want someone to come and deal with that. Because even if you leave this place having decided you will be second only to the archangel Gabriel in terms of your behavior and make Mother Teresa look like I don't know what and say you succeed, what about the backdated stuff when you weren't on that? Truth of the matter is you don't want the wages of sin set against you. You don't want to have to You don't want to receive that because the wages of sin is death. Not a nice pay rise so that you can do whatever you want to do. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect one, the holy one, the Messiah himself has dealt with sin so that we can have the potential of a restored relationship if we will but embrace the gift And the sign of that is that life begins to flood into us now. Many Christians speak of the joy of knowing the Lord even in tough times. They'll talk of the peace of the Lord even in tough times. It's something that is so wonderful that, you know, talk about pegs and stakes and things like that. It's so wonderful that people stake their lives now. In fact, some Christians even lose their lives. Why? Because the the eternal life, the abundant life, the life of Christ which transcends death is worth so much more. So this is what this weekend is about. Remembering that God himself has picked up the tab. God himself has paid for your sin. And he's waiting on your verdict. Do you want it? Or are you going to say thanks, but no thanks, Jesus, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, sweet of you, appreciate it. And then the evidence and the hope of glory that we have is that with sin and its accompanying death, as that is dealt with, so we can embrace the new and eternal life of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's have the band up. I'm going to just pray. Why don't we all stand and pray? Just as the band are coming up, um, we've got a number of people being baptized today. Maybe you've come to support them. Welcome. Just so that you know what's happening, uh, we're going to be finishing the service in three or four minutes, and then there will be a break, Uh, and then at 11 o'clock, hurry back in because we'll begin the introduction and the baptisms, and then at 11.30 we'll be beginning the second service, and there's going to be a bit of testimony as well from those who are being baptized, and it's this wonderful imagery just actually demonstrating what we're talking about here. Each person will be drowned as it were. We've got a pretty good success rate with this. 
They will be drowned to sin in the old life, and they will rise new men and women into the new life. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for all you're doing. And I pray, Lord God, that these words will find their mark, Lord God, that they will not come back having not accomplished that which you intended for them. May many here go deeper into you and have cause to celebrate your great goodness, your salvation, and your eternal life for themselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.